Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome back to a new edition of Sci-Fi Wire's Behind the Panel, the podcast docuseries dedicated to everything comics. I hope you're all keeping safe and following these super important stay-at-home guidelines. This podcast sounds a little different than usual because we're doing just that as well. So instead of being inside our usual studio, we're coming to you from Casa Avila. And while we know this is an incredibly difficult situation for many people, we hope to be able to give you a nice break from the anxiety of daily life by focusing on something we all love, comic books. To that end, we're going to be talking to some of our favorite comics creators to see how they're handling things on the home front while still doing their day job. Joining me today is one of my favorites. She's the co-creator of Bitch Planet and Pretty Deadly. She's also the former writer of Captain Marvel and was a consultant on the blockbuster MCU movie. Oh, and she's currently writing an absolutely sensational run on Aquaman for DC Comics. Say hello to Kelly Sue DeConnick. Hi, buddy. Thanks for having me. I want to find out how House Diffraction is doing during this self-quarantine period because you guys have kids. We do. You're used to working from home, but it's very different when the kids are home all the time. Yes. And in fact, I just printed out a 10-page document from my son's school about how his school from home is going to work. And oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know about this. We have this whole structure thing set up where we made a schedule and we have a board with three by five cards that have activities on them you know and everything and like we're kind of pulling it off but uh not really we did that too and kind of went by the side i think by day two and my kids are master negotiators too which is infuriating (laughs) like no just do it how are you and matt handling all the various things you work on because you guys always have multiple projects at various stages of development in comics and other mediums how are you able to do that knowing you can't go to la for meetings you do everything through video conference and your phone calls It's tough. I mean, my entire year has been canceled pretty much. I think I have something booked for October. I mean, there's some part of me that's like, yes, (laughs) you know, like certainly not yes, COVID virus and not yes, all the problems it caused for our economy. But there is an enforced respite because working from the road is even harder than working from home with the kids here, believe it or not. Like when you go to conventions and things, it must be impossible to get creative juices going. Well, I mean, it's not the creative juices. It's just the hours in the day, you know? I mean, I come home from conventions really psyched, both from the time that I get to spend with readers to the time I get to spend with fellow creators who constantly inspire me. But you don't get as much done sitting on a plane as you do at your house, generally speaking. Speaking of your fellow creators, since you and Matt are founding members of the Portland Comics Mafia, is there some like magical texture that all of you guys are involved in where you guys are sharing ideas and figuring out who's doing what? By the way, out of that whole group in Portland, which one is showing that they're going to be useful when the zombies actually come? (laughs) This is a good testing period for this. Well, Elisa Bendis, Brian Bendis' wife, who kind of runs Jinx World, 
a couple years ago, she gave us all like bug out kits for Christmas. I think they're designed for the killer earthquake that's coming to the West Coast. It's got ways to clean water so that you can drink and a crank radio and all of that kind of stuff. In fact, when this whole thing happened, she texted everyone and was like, I bet you're glad that you have that zombie apocalypse bag now, aren't you? Which is pretty fun. So I think Elisa is the one that we're most grateful for in that regard. Chelsea Kane has all of the science in her brain. Good to have somebody with the science. Yeah, so she is the science officer on our zombie apocalypse team. I have some practical skills. I can sew, I can clean, I can bake. Baking is very handy. My husband thinks he's just going to be the first one to be eaten. He has no (laughs) practical skill set whatsoever. But that's not actually true anymore. He used to say that all the time, but he's taken up carpentry in the last year. So maybe he can live. He can build shelter. Yeah. He has a lot of like hand planes, you know, he can make you a box. To store all your supplies. Yes. Very nice. Yeah, Yeah. Hey, let's talk about Aquaman. Your most recent issue, issue 58, had some big developments. Yeah. Spoiler alert, if you want to take a break. Aquaman got a bit of a makeover in this issue. I had a little Chris Evans vibe going. He had the shorter hair, well-groomed beard. What was the idea behind that? It wasn't a big discussion or anything. In fact, I think I just came up with it while I was scripting because I knew he was going to Atlantis nightly to spend time with the love of his life who is unconscious. And I think he's trying to make it as normal as possible for himself and for everyone else and for his daughter. And so this night was like date night. He's going without his kid to just spend some time with Mara on his own. It was like, let's have him clean up a little bit. That was a very sweet moment when he opens the door, that panel, he comes through the door and he's holding the flowers. It's one of the reasons why I've really enjoyed your run. My affection for Aquaman goes back a long time, not just because I saw him in the Super Friends and all that stuff, but what I always liked about him in the comics is that different creators came on board and were able to provide great, memorable stories that if you never read another one, you can go back to that one 10 years ago and you got a really good sense of the character. Yeah. This is a very different Arthur Curry than we've seen for a long time. He's fun. Like, he cracks jokes. Did you want to make him a bit more relatable than he's been for a long time? I think he's an upward-facing character, you know? There's characters that are cynical, that are downward-facing, and there are characters that are kind of bright and upward-facing. And I don't think that one is better than the other. I think it's yin and yang, chocolate and peanut butter, whatever your two-flavor metaphor is. But I think that Arthur is more like Superman than Batman. He's buoyant, right? And so first developing our take on the book, it was a lot of talking about going back to fundamentals with this character, right? So he's the water guy. And what does that mean? And that like oceans and sort of visceral and sensual and fluid. And we really wanted to emphasize that over the kingly stuff that had been kind of emphasized previously, especially because by the time I'm coming on, he's given up the throne. And so it was like, what is really fundamental about him? Also kind of looking at, you know, I'm always looking for what's their core wound and is there a way that I can bring their core wound back to their power set so that it has a kind of mythical or metaphorical resonance. So it was like, all right, well, what have we got? He's half Atlantean and half human. So he's not at home in either place, right? The fish out of water thing. And that's been done before, but I think it doesn't work anymore. It doesn't work in today's culture because for one thing, he's a handsome, literally bulletproof white man. So the idea that he pays some kind of price for being Atlantean. Yeah, hard to buy. Yeah, dude, you're on the Justice League. You know, you're doing all right. 
And it was like, all right, so that one doesn't really work. And then there's a good option in John's run, which is John's added this thing to the Manta mythology with Arthur that Arthur murdered Manta's father. So that's guilt. That's a good core wound. But I didn't really want to emphasize that because it felt too dark to me and also just not heroic. It's an accidental killing, but it's a straight killing. Like he didn't mean to kill his dad, but he meant to kill him. That's hard for me to reconcile with Hero. Mm -hmm. So I decided I didn't want to go with that. But I was very interested in the fact that this is also from John's run. His mother left him to return to her duties in Atlantis. And he was raised by a father who took him to the ocean every day to look for his mother. That's a core wound. Abandonment is huge. What does abandonment give me for character? Well, it gives me somebody who is an overachiever because they want to prove to the missing parent, you know, you missed out. You shouldn't have left. I was worthwhile, right? So we got that. We've got an emphasis on duty. His mother left him because she had a duty to. So that's the only thing that makes it okay. It wasn't a rejection of him. It was duty. So he's very duty bound. And then can we connect that to his core power set? Yes, the distinguishing ability that he has. Other characters are bulletproof. Other characters can talk underwater. Other characters are super strong. He has the call, right? He can call every creature in the ocean back to him except his mom. There we go. That's what we got. That's the kind of engine for him is sort of always trying to fill that hole, always trying to be good enough to do better, to perform his duty. And now in this current storyline, to be a better parent than the one he had, which is terrifying. We'll be back with more from Kelly Sue DeConnick right after these short messages. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Welcome back to Behind the Panel. Let's return to my chat with Kelly Sue DeConnick. I'll preface what I'm going to say now. I mean this in the nicest possible way because I love soap operas, but there is some great soap opera melodrama happening right now in your book with Mira in a coma, Volko. Again, spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't read issue 58, but sorry guys, we need to have something to talk about here. So Volko asking Arthur for permission to marry her so he could keep running the kingdom according to her wishes. And on top of that, double spoiler alert, Princess Andy is missing. I mean, holy cow. General Hospital never did any of this. Yeah. Their <laughs> yeah. wildest you know, dreams. It's very X-Men. You know, X-Men is a big soap yeah, opera. Yeah, absolutely. Very and it works. Like Miguel Mendonca is really killing the artwork. At what point does a writer and an artist on the book get to a point where they're like, wow, we're really firing on all cylinders. And you're really happy with the choices you've made and the way the story is developing. So Miguel and I are just getting to know each other because I've been working on this book with Robson Roca for so long. He's still doing the covers, right? He's still doing the covers, yeah. Robson and I have like really, and you can tell I'm like self-conscious trying to do the Portuguese pronunciation, but I'm working on it. I'm trying. <laughs> he and I really have had a great rapport. You know, when I first talked to him, I was like, what do you want to draw? What is exciting to you about this? And he was like, I want to do monsters and I want to do sea creatures. I was like, I got you. <laughs> 
we wrote our own myth, you know, and it's full of monsters and gods and really big, epic stuff. Like we talked about Zeppelin, right? Like it's Led Zeppelin, this stuff. And then so with Miguel coming on, Miguel and I are like finding our footing together. So we haven't really spoken very much. I don't know him very well. He is really lovely though. He sent back the page with baby Andy in the onesie with the fish all over it. And like, he's putting these little touches of humor and humanity all through it that I really, really love. And there's the way that she's sucking on the sippy cup was just like, oh my God, anybody who has a kid knows that like where they've got the sippy cup and they just look at you. I was like, oh yes, yes. That's so real. Like he's given her life and a joyful buoyancy. And there's a lot of humor to what he's doing. I gotta ask though, as we know, aqua babies don't have a great history. I know. For the love of God, please tell me you're taking care of Princess Andy. I would not hurt baby Andy. I give you my word, nothing will happen to this child while I am on this book. I cannot speak to you. What happens after I leave? I think that they would be foolish because I think there's some really great stuff we can do. I'm giving them on a silver platter a really cool thing they can do with this kid. But yes, my word is my bond. I will not murder a child. Good, good, good. How far along are you guys? We know that Diamond just announced they're holding shipping for a while while things get sorted out in this insanity that we're going through right now. Where are you at in the pipeline with issues? I've got the end of the storyline planned. I think that's through 64. It might be 65 now. I'm not 100% sure because there was some adjustment. We're going to take a little side road for two issues. So I think that pushed us to 65 so we could explore some stuff with Jackson. The mirror renaissance is in full bloom. And I thought the movie did a good job with it. The comics have been doing it for a while. You're continuing with it. And I think I realized something. Arthur Curry's a better character with Mira than without her. I think so too, but here is a problem. And I know there were a lot of people that were very upset with me because I have spent so much time keeping them apart. But the reason I did that was because she is so strong and so well-developed that she can be the more interesting character of the two of them. And his name is on the cover. And so, first of all, I really wanted to emphasize the importance of their bond by making it something that they could fight for. And to complicate it, too, by giving it real human stuff, you know? Like, it's not just a perfect, we get along all the time, look at us dashing into danger, you know? It's like, they have human emotions. Everything is just bigger because they're super powered, right? But I also needed some space to develop who he was in order for him to come back and be worthy of her, you know? Because if he's just a sad puppy, she deserves better than that. I don't buy that relationship. So he has to have some swagger. He has to have some fun and oomph and life to him to be a good match for her. And I think they're a really interesting set too because they kind of defy gender stereotypes. Physically, he's very traditionally masculine. I mean, he's very traditionally masculine, period. And she's hyper feminine, you know, but she's the hawkish one of the two of them. She's a much more adamant, like, I will make the hard decisions leader. And in fact, I got a little bit of critique when they get in the big fight about her pregnancy and her anger overtakes her and it hits him hard, literally. There was a critique that was like, you know, oh, Kelly Sue's playing the pregnant hysterical woman trope. And it was like, with all due respect, no, 
that is who Mara is. A man touched her without asking in a grocery store and she broke his arm. Like it is established that she is a quick temper and she's very powerful. That wasn't hysterical. That is who she is. So she's hawkish. She's, I think, a better queen than he was king. Oh yeah, she's much more politically savvy. Yeah, and she suits the Atlanteans better too. He is always not quite fit in with the Atlanteans. Atlanteans are, it's a little bit hard for me to write them as a culture because they're sort of like the Klingons. They're kind of dicks. They're like a little bit, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not super into you. But she is able to speak their language, but bring reason, you know, and she's very good at this. Whereas he is, I don't know, he's got big feels and the call, his distinguishing ability, it's the ability to ask for help, right? I love John's run on the character. John's and David, although there've been a lot of them, but they're the ones that have most influenced my run. But I do differ from him on this in that he has Arthur say about the call, you know, oh, I don't talk to fish. You know, I just sort of control them. And my take on that is I don't think controlling the will of another living creature is a superhero ability. I think that's a supervillain ability. So I think Arthur doesn't order, Arthur asks. And because of the man he is, because he is a good man, because he is on the side of right, because he is a champion of the ocean, they respond. I don't think I'll be on the book long enough to get to a point where we'd have the breathing room to write this. But if he ever asked them to do something that wasn't righteous, I don't think they'd do it. I don't think it's an ability that doesn't fail. I think he has to be on the side of right to get these creatures to come to him. I want to wrap this up with a couple of fun questions. What's been your go-to comfort food during this self-quarantine period? In two weeks, I've eaten three large bags of potato chips. We don't usually have potato chips in my house. You know why we don't usually have potato chips in my house? Because left to my own devices, I will eat three large bags of potato chips all by myself. Classic flavor? No. Oh my gosh. The best was Kettle Brand Korean barbecue potato chips. Ooh, you go for the fancy ones. They were incredible. They were unbelievable. <laughs> and I'm so glad they're gone. Are you trying to read or watch new TV shows and films or books you haven't read? Or are you going to some of your favorites? I have less time right now, not more time. So I haven't been able to take on anything new, especially. But I have been reading, as I always read, and I just made it through two, well, I'm in the middle of the second one, two nonfiction books that I actually highly, highly recommend. One is Kelly McGonigal's The Joy of Movement. And I loved that one so much. I immediately got on my Kindle, her book, The Upside of Stress, which I think all of us should probably be reading right now. <laughs> so I've really found a lot of comfort in The Upside of Stress. What's Kelly Sue's go-to maneuver to distract the kids so you can have a, some me time to read your book? Well, it's give them comics. You could not have given me a better setup for that, but it's the actual God's honest truth. And I have over here a three-volume Harley Quinn omnibus that I bought for myself that my daughter has been making her way through, and she loves it. And Henry has a comiXology account because we cannot keep up with his habit. He tears through them so fast. So he reads a lot digitally just to save us from not being able to pay for his college. And then, you know, in the evenings, we're just trying to give the kids our attention. Usually like Tallulah and I go do Taekwondo, but we had movie night the other night and we watched Real Genius. Ooh, how old are your kids? They are nine and 12. what do they think of it? 
they loved it, which was like, whoo, because I didn't want to have to give you to the circus. We really, really enjoyed that. It also holds up a lot better than, there's a couple things where you're like, all right, but it holds up pretty well. My son asked if we could watch RoboCop and I'm like, oh my God, I can't wait, but not quite yet. We're not there yet. (laughs) Extra special thanks to Kelly Sue DeConnick for talking with us. And if you haven't read Bitch Planet, rectify that immediately. It's bonkers in a beautiful way. If you liked what you heard, we've got lots more Behind the Panel podcasts. All you have to do is subscribe from wherever you get your podcasts. Also, head to YouTube and subscribe to the Sci-Fi Wire channel for all the comic book videos you can handle. And for the final plug, don't forget about my weekly column at SciFiWire.com. Shout out to my podcast team, executive producer Matt Romano, producer, composer, and editor Paul Terry, and mixer and masterer Dave Draper. I'm your host, Mike Avalon. Stay safe and wash those hands, people.